moving your career further faster. That's the mission behind Cascading Leadership. Each week, we're bringing you stories of women, immigrants, members of the global majority who have risen to the ranks of senior leadership in the world of business. Get ready to gather the insights of some of the world's best business leaders and apply those to your career. If you're interested in sales and marketing effectiveness, organizational effectiveness, talent strategy, DEI, or HR tech, tune in. We're going to share with you what they don't teach you in business school. Welcome to the show. Previously on Cascading Leadership. So when you mentioned earlier about, hey, the culture has created a safe space for us to say what we need to say, that actually starts at the top. And if you're having to push, pull, and drag the executive suite along on any initiative, it's not going to work. So that's pretty interesting from a cultural dynamics perspective. He's been phenomenal to work with. Yeah, it's been a great journey. And I will say just the support, not just from our CEO, but that's absolutely where it starts by our entire leadership team. Again, going back to around 2020, when we had a lot of the incidents with the police in black and brown communities, I essentially went to one of our senior leaders and I said, hey, I think your particular team could use more. And this is when I was still in marketing. I think your particular team could use some training to get more comfortable in addressing issues in black and brown communities. I found this vendor, I put time on the calendar, I'll set everything up for you. And they were all for it and really grateful because they wanted to, they recognized that this was an opportunity area, but wasn't fully sure how to approach it. So yeah, what, when you can literally just put time on, on, on the calendar of a, a C-suite executive that you've never met in person and say, hey, I want to help. And they're all for it. And rarely do people even people even accept those media meetings at other companies? Yeah, I, I love the culture and where we're headed and where we've where we've come from. It's been a journey, and we recognize that we're still on that journey, and we'll continue to learn and even make mistakes together. But I think the fact that everyone's willing and open to learn is the first step. And now the conclusion of our conversation with Whitney Goins of Molson Coors. It, it takes a certain level of courage from your perspective to even do that type of outreach. Obviously everybody's got an external persona that they might build around themselves to make themselves appear approachable or whatnot. And like uh, referencing back to what we talked about, you didn't come out fully formed with an out front, or at least I'm making an assumption, with the ability to leverage your voice for action. What was it that prompted you or gave you the courage to bring that as a marketing person directly to the executive suite to drive change? I think that's going back to the element earlier when I said there was a kind of professional standpoint and there was a personal standpoint as far as that transition from marketing to EI. So really it just gotten to a point again, going back to 2020 and during the pandemic, and it just reached a point where a lot of people, especially in black and brown communities, we were just so just exhausted. Things were happening time and time again. And for, especially in the black community, police brutality was not a new subject to us, but to go to work and for some reason, it being the first time that a lot of our colleagues had heard of or paid attention to what was going on in the world around them. So to go to work and feel like you're responsible for educating or feeling like you had to be 100% when mentally you're exhausted, you're upset, you're hurt, you're angry. And it just got to a point where I was just really fed up. And so it went back to, again, our organization really preaching transparency and living up to that. Essentially, each function just sat down and had, of course, we were still working from home. We had teams meetings 
and allowed people to come on and just share how they felt. Literally just an hour where we talked about our feelings. Anyone could come on and share experiences. And to be honest, a lot of my Black colleagues were hesitant to go on camera. We were just like, I'm not talking. I'm exhausted. I am literally exhausted. And after some time passed, I went on camera and I just, it was like word vomit. I just started, I honestly feel like I blacked out, but I was getting all of these texts and Teams chats and people saying, yes, Whitney, keep going. They're saying everything that we want to say. So I just, I kept going and it got to a point because I was so fed up. It just, it all came out. And luckily what I said was appreciated, right? So after that, our CMO called my cell phone and we're talking and having personal conversation and figuring out ways that we can make sure that the rest of, because again, I was still in the marketing team at this point, making sure that the rest of my colleagues felt and know that they were supported by our CMO. So yeah, it had gotten to a point where I was upset. I was fed up. But on top of that, I didn't just wag my finger and say, this is why it's wrong. This is what we should be doing. Or this is what we, this, these are areas that we can improve on. I literally came with suggestions. I came with the action behind it. And I will say that working in DEI, a lot of the things that we get as far as in emails and things like that, our employees reaching out and saying, Hey, we don't do this enough. Hey, we should be doing this and never really coming with solutions. So I feel like I I pointed out a problem. I pointed out an opportunity area and I came directly to our VP of DEI with a solution. And then from there, that kind of led to doing some stretch assignments for with the DEI team while I was still working in marketing. And that was fully supported by my marketing team and, and managers. And then I fully made the transition to diversity, equity, and inclusion when when a role became open on his team. So yeah, it gotten to the point where, and for, I think for the longest part of my career, I'd gone to work and tried to present very buttoned up. And I'm sure we've all heard the term code switching. That was very much me. And it gotten to the point where, like I said, I was fed up and I was like, you're going to hear, you're going to hear Whitney today. And they loved her. And I, she hasn't gone anywhere since. I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't call this out, but I think there's an overall business lesson in what you just described that it's important to say out loud. We're primarily a leadership show. And when you're thinking about how do you want to lead from where you are, anybody can talk about the problem and think what, regardless of whatever function that you're in. But if you want to really separate yourself from, and this is what you did, if you want to separate yourself from everybody that's got visibility into the problem, you need to drive that into action with a solution set. Here's what I see. Here's why it impacts the business. Here's how we solve it. What are some other ways that we can solve it as well? And let's build a strategy around it. So I think that's that's the other part that can be broadly generalized to anybody in any seat who wants to advance some solution within the organization. It's something that like it sounds so simple, but I think we do get comfortable and forget it. And I actually just I onboarded 79 interns just last week. And that was one, like the first tip that I gave them. Remember when you start your roles, you will find problems or opportunity areas. Remember to show your manager that you thought of a solution as well. And it's something that you think as being well-versed in our, or well into our careers that we remember, but sometimes it is easy to just say, Hey, Hey manager, Hey team lead, here's the problem. And not thinking, taking the time to think of how we can help. This has been a phenomenally interesting conversation. And I think one of the things that a lot of organizations struggle with, we're talking up to this point in terms of how we're advancing DEI within an organization and fairly large organization at Molson Coors, but there's still, and you would know this better than I would, 
there are still plenty of organizations that look at DEI as a function of let's throw a monthly specific banner up and have some PR thing. And it's all performative. And they look at it as a nice to have versus a critical business imperative. And you're in the talent space. So walk me through or walk us through how having a DEI first or a DEI focused talent strategy leads to actual business impact. I will say one thing that we say at Molson Coors, and this is actually a quote that I'm stealing directly from my VP, Stephen Brown, but we say we want our, our employees should look like our consumers. And as we've learned more about our consumers, that's why we really expanded on our product options. So starting from the beginning Our employees need to look like our consumers. So one, we know when we think about who's sitting around that table, that who are the decision makers, we want to make sure that we are fitting into the lives of our consumers in a way that makes sense, in a way that is genuine, is authentic. We think about our consumers and expanding our product options to match those new consumers. It took sitting down, sitting back and observing, learning our consumers, understanding that more and more people are choosing not to drink alcohol, whether that's for health or just effect, right? So expanding into non-out beverages. There was a time where not too long ago, where we were just a beer company. We didn't think that we'd be expanding beyond beer, but our products had to, had to expand because our consumer set expanded. And as our consumer set, it continues to expand. Representation is so important when you think of within the organizational makeup. So DEI and representation is necessary when it comes to one, making sure that your employees feel included, like they work in a safe space that they can bring their full self to work. So those are great examples that you just gave about how representation impacts the external product and the consumer market. When you look at representation and diversity from an internal perspective, from an end-to-end talent strategy perspective, what's the business impact of having a truly diverse organization in terms of your ability to attract, retain, develop people. So when we think about talent development, we know from an internal standpoint how important representation is. So one, making sure that we have people, professionals of color in every level of the organization doing, and if we don't, seeing how we can improve on those numbers. Also making sure that we are developing talent from historically underrepresented groups. So are we taking the time to develop? Are we looking at the data to make sure that we're tracking? Okay. Hey, there, there seems to be a lull in promotions and is there a lull in pay gap? Is there something that we're missing? And a lot of times it just takes us looking at the data together to make sure that we're tracking because if we're looking at things in silos, sometimes things get missed. So that's why it's so important for the the teams and functions to come together. So when it comes to representation, promotions, tracking that sort of data, that's essentially what helps us with retention. Also do employee surveys, making sure that we've also done some qualitative research as well. So listening sessions, making sure that we're hearing our employees and what how their sentiments on the company. And then when it comes to attraction, our talent acquisition team, and we have a team focused specifically on partnerships, making sure that we are getting out there. And one, also with the transition from Miller Coors to Molson Coors, there's some employer branding recognition that we're working on, but also making sure that we're putting ourselves in spaces where we're attracting professionals of color or people from historically marginalized groups. So going to different conferences or sponsoring different conferences. And we're actually one of the founding partners of Thurgood Marshall College Fund. So making sure that we're attending that conference every year. When it comes to my role as 
early talent program manager. So managing our undergraduate internship programs, making sure that our diversity talent acquisition partner is tapping into our HBCUs and colleges where we can pull students to really create a diverse pipeline. We're making sure that the, the next generation of Molson Corps employees represent the world as a whole. And that world is growing increasingly more diverse. You know, it sounds like, and we haven't gotten into the weeds about it, but it sounds like there's an actual end-to-end talent strategy in place versus what a lot of organizations do is that they've, I call it the talent attraction hamster wheel. They're, hey, we want to attract diverse talent, but once we're here, we don't have any process in place to develop them. We don't have representation across all levels of the organization of people that look like us in leadership. And you've seen it just as well as I have where, yeah, you have diversity at the line level. You might have diversity at the manager level, but as you go further up the chain, it becomes more and more monochrome. So mm-hmm. it sounds like Molson Coors has had some maturity in, in, in that space as well. The one thing that I'm curious about is that sounds pretty mature. How does the organization and what are some of the unique things that the organization is doing to remove bias at all levels of that process? So who gets selected into the organization? How do we make our development decisions? All of that sort of stuff. And here's the other part, and this falls into the development side, and this, I think, falls into your wheelhouse too, potentially. Mm -hmm. How is that applied to upskill, reskill, and continuous improvement and development in, in that respect? I know that there's a DEI university component that comes into play within Molson Coors. Give us a, a view into that. So more simply, how are we de-biasing through that entire talent strategy process? And what are the things that you and your colleagues are doing to support DEI across the entire employee life cycle? We have so many different kind of teams that work together. So yes, that it's heavily on our talent acquisition team, but I just touched on the role that they play in that area. I think to answer your question there, it goes back to our people development team. So the learning and training programs that they've created, oh my goodness, wonderful. So I mentioned earlier how we have trainings that are required. So for instance, if you are promoted into a people manager role or a role where you'll now have direct reports, you're required to go through training to make sure that you are aware of different biases and how to be an inclusive leader. And I think those are so crucial. And again, similar to what I was talking about with empathy experience, those sessions are designed to be with small classes. So really heavily discussion-based. So making sure that people feel comfortable asking those uncomfortable or awkward questions or questions that maybe they felt were, were maybe inappropriate, really getting those out there to address biases teaching them internally, how do we define biases, microaggressions, what are macroaggressions, how to call out versus call in and when to do. And I feel like even role-playing in those different scenarios. So really making sure that our managers are equipped. And we also talk about in those trainings, we talk about interview biases, going in and are you are there some halo biases there, some confirmation biases when talking to different candidates and making how we can potentially eliminate those biases, as well as our talent acquisition team. So our talent acquisition partners, who are essentially our recruiters, have to go through various trainings. And actually, every employee goes through a DEI refresher course regularly. So it's something that we're really ingraining into the organization and making sure that I think this is where a lot of organizations are falling short to, making sure that it's not an uncomfortable conversation. So 
what we say is we're encouraging uncomfortable conversations and really getting to the point where we don't even have to call them uncomfortable. They shouldn't be uncomfortable. So really just ingraining that the vocabulary, the thought, the awareness is key into all levels of the organization. There's something that struck me about what you just mentioned. And there's actually a couple of things. One (laughs) is the learning orientation that like is embedded in the organization. I think that's important in a lot of different ways. Like you should be learning organization and a continuous learning organization. But I think what- Learn every day. (laughs) Yeah. So that's great. An organization that actually lives its values. Awesome. I don't mean to like be flip about it, but it's it's great that it's being operationalized. But the other thing that stood out and- this comes up in several of our conversations is the community that you're building through the learning process. And what I'm calling out is the specific focus on cohort learning because you're building a small community, creating that safe space. So if we're talking about best practices from a learning and development perspective, and also building a culture of learning, building a culture of open communication, it's the cohort format that actually allows for that. And a lot of great organizations are doing that. So I'm glad that we actually talked through this. I could get into the weeds with a lot of the stuff that we've talked about up until this point. And I think what we just covered where you're tying in both the external business impact and the internal business impact of focusing on DEI as a critical success factor, that could be its own show. But <laughs> one, of the, one of the things that you mentioned that I, I want to get a little bit more detail on is the whole idea of uncomfortable conversations. And by mm. nature, nobody wants to have them. So my question to you is, why is it important that we engage in these uncomfortable conversations? What business and personal benefit does it give us? Absolutely. And it opens our mind, right? Of course, no one wants to be uncomfortable. Rarely does someone can someone wake up and say, yeah, I want to be uncomfortable today, but how else do we learn? And that's something that we continuously preach on the DEI team is having those uncomfortable conversations. And in reality, what does that mean? So when we think about leading with empathy and making sure that empathy is really at the heart of all of our DEI strategies and action plans, how we define empathy internally, we really want to make sure that people understand the difference between empathy and sympathy. So empathy is understanding someone's someone's perspective so deeply to the point that you are compelled to act on their behalf, right? So the reason why it's so important to have uncomfortable conversations, because a lot of things are so ingrained in us, right? When we think of unconscious biases, right? We know that our our brain is taking in thousands of pieces of information a minute. And our brain literally creates shortcuts to help us dissect all that information. It's literally the only way that we could function. So a lot of times based off of our past experiences, what we see in the media, what we've heard growing up, we have these biases. And unfortunately, we take those and we have those in the outside world and we come into work or come into the office and we carry those same biases and how that can prevent us from really connecting with our colleagues and being inclusive in our efforts. So when we think about why it's important to really make sure that we are cutting those biases and having those uncomfortable conversations, because I always like to say, yes, learning is important, but I feel half the battle of DEI, that your DEI journey is unlearning. So unlearning what we've been taught growing up, unlearning what we've seen, what we've heard. And then also it's so important because DEI has, when we think about language, it's ever, ever changing, continuously growing. It's so important for us to make sure that we are acknowledging that journey and that growth and referring to people how they want to be referred to and making sure that we're understanding the different perspectives as new theories and 
ideas come along. We call them uncomfortable conversation, but like I said, hopefully in in a few years, they won't be considered uncomfortable, but rather necessary. It's uh, what you just said got me thinking and uh, it, it got me thinking about how do we create the space to to have these conversations and one of the things that that I regularly do because I tend to be direct anyways is when I'm hearing or seeing something and I have a reaction to it I'm always questioning in my head why am I reacting this way to this particular thing is it because mm-hmm. something that I've been conditioned to believe or is it because this is the right way that I should be viewing this particular topic and I'm lucky in that I'll frame it and I'll ask somebody hey I'm watching this. This is how I'm reacting. What's your take on it? Am I where am I off base? So I think I think activating our own curiosity about why we believe or feel the way that we feel about certain things. And if you're asking from the perspective of, hey, I'm just trying to figure this out. Can you help me out? I don't think a lot of people are going to get weirded out by it. You don't do this to like random people walking down the street, but you get what I'm saying. Absolutely. And I love what you just said, activating your own curiosity. That's literally what it is. And that's when it comes to your DEI journey. And granted, we're all going to make mistakes. And I think that's where it's so important to give ourselves grace as well as others, but really just taking the lead on your own DEI journey and learning. Of course, it isn't someone else's job to educate you, but the awareness is so key. So when something is happening, and this is really in any aspect of life, not just in regarding to, to DEI, but really just stopping and asking, okay, why, why is this triggering? Why is this coming up for me? And I feel like once you understand that you're giving you, you're really reclaiming your power, your personal power and eliminating, taking things so personally. Yep. So yeah, I think it's a powerful tool to have. This has been a great conversation. Before we wrap things up, I want to cover a couple of things. One, and these are both to you. I'm passing the ball to you. Okay. So when we reflect on all the stuff that we talked about, what are the most important things that you want people to walk away with? And then two, where can people find you other than doing keynotes at Butler University? Takeaways, find your voice. Absolutely. And that's professionally and personally. Like I said, I went into work so many times and felt like I needed to present myself a certain way. And unfortunately, I did not find my authentic self until I was ready to explode and I was fed up. Like I said, I presented the real Whitney and my organization fell in love with her and she's been here ever since. So find your authentic voice, come with solutions, present solutions. Always make sure that it's so easy to tell people how they could improve or what they could do better. But coming forth with ideas is always that extra step that will typically help your idea be more well-received as well. Gosh, is that only two key takeaways? I feel like I had a third, but maybe for those organizational leaders or people leaders, challenge yourself on your DEI journey. First, just that awareness, right? I think awareness is key and that is both outside and inside of work. How can you make sure that you are really checking yourself before you react? And when you do feel triggered, asking yourself why? So yeah, I I would say those are my, those are the takeaways that are coming to mind. Like I'm sure we chatted about a lot, but those are the three things that come to mind first. I actually counted four. Um, There's find your voice, be authentic, come with solutions. Whenever you're as a leader, whenever you're reacting to something, self-check and evaluate what, where this reaction is coming from. So that's four in my book, plus the other like 15 that we got through the show. Yeah. If I could say one more, really, because the fourth one kind of reminded me of that, making sure that you're checking in with your team. So it's one thing as a leader to 
be aware, but also check in with your team, check in with your organization, your consumer. It's their voice that and their story and their data that you're looking for. So. Now you're just showing off. Nothing tense. The, uh, the one thing that you did forget out of those five takeaways is where can people find you? Yes, LinkedIn, Whitney Gowen. That's where most people uh, can find you. Whitney, thank you so much for all of this great a conversation that you gave us. I learned a ton. I have a page full of notes and like 15 takeaways. So this is going to be great. I appreciate you coming on. For those of you who are listening, thank you. If you have questions or if you want to connect with Whitney, LinkedIn is the way to do it. I definitely reach out with, with any questions that you might have. You can find this episode when it drops on all your major podcast platforms. We are on TikTok, on LinkedIn, on YouTube. We're on Facebook, but not really a ton. And we're not on Instagram because that's just for food pictures. So thank you for joining us on Cascading Leadership. And Whitney, thanks again for coming on the show. It was a great lesson. And we will see you next time with another phenomenal guest. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cascading Leadership. We hope you enjoyed the story as much as we did. Make sure you subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast player. Follow us on YouTube, TikTok, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Leave us a review. Tell a friend. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, reach out to me at jim at cascadingleadership.com. Tune in next time for another great episode that will help you move your career further faster.